Okay, we are now doing Mishlei, Pasuk Ches, Perak Aleph. Famous, famous Pasuk. So let's get to it. Shema b'ni Musar Ovicha, v'al titosh toras imecha. Again, this is, he's talking about Chachma, he's introducing Chachma to us. Until now he's already introduced the concept of the Sefer, what we're trying to accomplish. He introduced, we spoke about last week, the idea that that Yeres Hashem is a foundation for Chachma. We talked about what that was all about. Um, and now he's also getting into a little bit of a preamble to the idea of Chachma, the idea of learning. And that is, Shema B'ni Musar, listen, my son, to the Musar of your father. Do not neglect or do not forsake the Torah of your mother. Okay. Um, in a general sense, uh, what this Pasuk is telling us, Pasuk Ches is telling us, that children should listen to their parents. Right? That's, that's a pretty general sense. Uh, Rabbi Yona actually speaks out over here. Why is it important for children to listen to their parents? He says because teenagers, um, they have desires, they have things that they want to do, and they have no seichel. They have no intellect. Their, their, their ability to reason has yet to be fully formed. Uh, I personally think it's a miracle that any teenage boy makes it through the teenage years alive. Um, the things that they endeavor. Uh, it's entirely true, and we said this last week, that uh, if not for this um, gap between ability and reason, uh, war wouldn't be possible. Um, you know, soldiers that go to war are generally speaking young men who have quite capable of doing a lot physically and are quite incapable of making rational reasoned decisions and therefore war is possible. Uh, if not for that, it wouldn't be. Um, people would probably say the same thing about you know, football and some other uh, contact sports. Um, <clears throat> so Arminius says that's why it's important for people to listen uh, to their parents because as a young person, you have things that you want to do but you don't have the seichel yet to be able to say, you know, maybe this isn't the smartest thing. And parents who are older and wiser and, and more mature and have seen things and care about you, they can tell you, uh, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe one day you're going to kind of regret making that decision. Uh, so that's the very basic level, the idea of Shema B'ni Musar um, Let's unpack this Pasuk a little bit. Like we said before, there's the Mashal and there's the Nimshal. So the Mashal... Uh, the analogy here is, is to a child listening to their parents. So let's unpack the analogy itself first. Uh, pick up some nuances in the Pasuk here. Because the Pasuk is structured very interestingly. The, the Pasuk firstly uh, bifurcates between the father and the mother. So we have you know, something about the father's education, so to speak, and the mother's. We have different words being used for both. The father's is called Musar. The mother's is Toras. Uh, we also have the verb attached to it is different. We tell the father, Shema, listen to the father, whereas when it comes to the mother, it's don't forsake that which the mother has given over. So let's try to understand these things a little bit. <clears throat> so first let's start with the idea of Shema versus Altito. Shema means listen. Altitosh means don't forsake. Um, the way I understand this, this di- distinction is that Generally speaking, the, uh, a child's chinuch starts with the mother. Uh, the mother spends a lot more time with the child when they're, when they're younger, immediately from infancy. 
and the younger years, through toddler years, etc., spends a lot more time with the mother. The mother's ways are there with the child before the child even has the ability to think or not think about it. Whatever the mother embodies, whatever <laughs> values the mother has, they're there whether you like it or not. The question isn't are you going to listen to them and accept them or not. The only question is are you going to forsake them or not. In other words, you have them. Um, a mother's contribution, and again, a healthy environment, a mother's contribution to a child's chinuch uh, is, is there almost before the child is aware of it. Uh, it's not something the child has the ability to think and say, oh, do I want to listen to my mother or not listen to my mother? It's, it's you know, the expression that's in the mother's milk. It's there already. Um, the choice then is, are you going to forsake it or not? Are you going to leave it behind as you get older and kind of discount it, uh, leave it behind or not? Whereas the father, the question is, am I going to listen to it in the first place? The father's instruction usually comes later on. Uh, the child is usually old enough at that point to decide, well, do I want to listen to this? Do I not want to listen to it? Do I want to follow my father? Do I not want to follow my father? Naturally speaking, uh, children have a natural connection to the mother before they're even aware. And with the father, that's something that they have some ability to decide. Do I want to connect with my father? Do I not want to connect with my father? So the, the admonition as far as the father's uh, role in Chinuch, that the child listening to the father is expressed in terms of Shema, listen, meaning accept it. Whereas when it comes to the mother, to say accept it is a moot point. You, you've, already, you've already imbibed it. You, you've already gotten it. The only question is, are you going to forsake it or not? Are you going to leave it behind or not? And therefore the the verb used is al-titosh, do not forsake it. Um, that's one distinction between the chinuch of the father and the chinuch of the mother. Um, another distinction is the idea between Musar and Torah. Um, Torah means instruction. The word Torah does mean instruction. Uh, Torah is tzivalon Moshe. The word Torah means instruction. Um, Musar is kind of rebuke. It's more chastisement. So the mother, generally speaking, that which the mother gives over is instruction for life. It's, it's a way of life. It's, it's kind of axioms. It's a, way to, it's, a, it's a way to live life. Whereas what the father comes and usually does is give admonition and, and corrects things and points things out that are wrong. Um, so the distinction between what a, what a mother gets, contributes to the child's kind of, and the father contributes is this difference between Torah and Musr. Um, the father is more of a harsh rebuke, correcting wrongs, whereas the mother is an idea of, of Torah. Um, and the other distinction is uh, the tone, the tone that's used. Um, you know, the, there's a famous uh, Rashi that talks about Beman Torah, because Kosomar Levesi Yaakov is Sagid Yisrael, to the men you speak in harsher terms, to women you speak in softer terms, and that's the same thing as far as how men and women give rebuke and, and give, give chinuch over. So a mother will, will often give it over in softer tones, whereas the father is usually in harsher tones. That's also indicated in these words, uh, Torahs versus Musa. Okay, so, but again, it's, it's uh, you know, we know this very well, the world unfortunately today doesn't know this very well, but uh, a person needs both a father and a mother. A person ideally needs both both the, the harsher, disciplined voice of the father and, and, and the softer, more embracing voice of the mother. Together, the two of those uh, make for a healthy, healthy upbringing, healthy education. Okay. Next puzzle. Because they are an adornment of chain, of, of, of grace, of charm, uh, for your head, 
Va'anokim legargare secho and uh, necklaces or chains around your neck. Um, so what does this mean? And the reason why you should listen, says the says the, says Shlomo the reason you should listen to your parents is because their words will ultimately be kind of the crown on your head and the necklace around your neck, the things that adorn you. Um, what is this, on the simple of what does that mean? These things are going to be things that adorn you. So I'd like to make the, the following observation. There are a lot of smart people in the world. There are a lot of smart people in the world. There are a lot of people that know how to speak. Certain people, they're respected for their wisdom. They, they kind of draw people in. And others don't really have that kind of an impact, right? Why is it that some people, and, and, and Roshecha, the concept of Roshecha is, is, is the wisdom in their heads, and Gagari Secha is, is the throat, it's where speech comes from. And what he's describing is if a person takes his chinuch from his parents, then whatever wisdom he has will be, will have chen, will, will find favor in the eyes of other people, and his words will be accepted. It's not necessarily true that the smartest people are always the ones that are accepted, right? I mean, you could have very smart people that people don't really care much for what they have to say. And you could have people who aren't necessarily the smartest, but they have a way of influencing people, and people really listen to what they say and listen to what they have to say. They seek out their advice. So, so what is it? And, and Shalom seems to be drawing a connection here. It's not just a question of having wisdom. It's a question of accepting the wisdom of your parents. That's what's going to create this environment where your chachma finds chen in other people. Right? What's the connection between chen, um, finding favor in other people, and this idea of coming from your parents. So what, what would you, uh, if, I, if I had to, to put it out there, is any, any uh, to me it always, it was always a question I, I, was, I, I was curious about. You know, why is it that certain people are, are, are accepted, you know, people respect what they have to say, and other people not. And, and there seems to be a clue in this Pasuk. Um, so I'll tell you an observation that, that I had. Um, and this is an observation, this is my own thought, and then, uh, as everybody giver likes to say, it's in the take-it-or-leave-it category. But um, this is my own thought, my own observation. Um, there's two ways people relate to their parents. Let's talk specifically in a scenario where the children, let's say, are firmer than the parents, in a certain way, right? So, you know, that the, the happens often where, where children grow up, they're firmer than their parents, you know. So, th- there's two ways that can go. The, the children can have an attitude of complete respect and deference to the parents and also recognize they were able to then go on and, and add to that and build upon that. Um, or, sometimes, unfortunately, it's an attitude where you know, my parents aren't good enough, and I'm better, and I have to kind of show them, you know, that, 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 that my way is better than their way. And it really has nothing to do with the actual difference between the lifestyles. It could be a small gap, it could be a large gap, it could be going from, you know, orthodox to very orthodox, from, from non-orthodox to orthodox. The, the point is, when there's a gap between the parent and the child, the child either sees themselves as building upon the parents, or as going against the parents. 
Um, and this is something which I've observed, you know, in, in different scenarios. And there's always been certain something unhealthy um, to me about the people that are kind of, you know, rebelling against the parents, so to speak. You know, naturally a child needs to find favor in the eyes of their parents. It's a very natural thing to, to want to, you know, make your parents proud. It's a very natural instinct. And when somebody's ruchnius is tied up, number one, they don't feel like their parents respect them when they're ruchnius. There's one thing. But number two, they have to prove their parents wrong, so to speak. It, it becomes a competitive thing. In their ruchnius, um, it, it creates a very unhealthy platform for that, for that Ruchnius to exist. Um, and that's something which people pick up on. Um, people tend to notice that. People tend to notice that this Ruchnius isn't necessarily built on a healthy foundation. It's built on a foundation of trying to prove somebody else wrong. These things are kind of subtle sometimes, but it's, it's, it's a very, very important point. I want to add another point, which is a little bit... Uh, it's, the first one is not related, but I think it's very related. Um, I heard this actually last night from Aaron Lapiansky. It's, it's a very powerful concept. He's talking about the idea of Nisoyim. Nisoyim, people go through tests in life, Messiah. It's not we, we um, do difficult things, undertake difficult things for the sake of Hashem. So Avram Avinu went through 10 Nisoyim. The Akeda, the six parshas, is obviously a big one. So, this, the, the basic level, the way to look at a Nisayun, the concept of Nisayun is that it's a testament to Avram Avinu's dedication. Avram was incredibly dedicated. Uh, he was willing to even give up his own son for Hashem. It's a testament to Avram Avinu's dedication, which is certainly true. But there's another layer of what a Nisayun is. The, the Rishonim also say the word Nisayun is, is connected to the word Nase, not in the sense of miracles, but in the sense of a banner. A banner is called a nace. Um, and tests, nisionos, function as a, a, a banner. They, they display something to the world. So, Lopiansky is a very insightful thing. So let's say you take a, a, a firefighter that runs into a, uh, a burning building to save a child, a great personal risk, right? So, what do you see from this, this episode? So, number one, you do see that this firefighter is very brave and willing to give up his life. You do see something that's a testament to the firefighter. But you also see the value of human life. Saving the child is so important that someone's willing to risk their lives for it, right? When it comes to an Isayon, yes, you see the dedication of Rav Avinu, But more importantly than that, you see how valuable serving Hashem is. It's so important to serve Hashem that someone will be willing to risk everything for it, right? It's a subtle distinction, but it's a very important one. I, I was recently uh, watching a video. I was, I was talking about a kolol somewhere. It was a very nicely done video, and it was basically talking <coughs> about the kolol wives and how much they, they sacrificed and gave up and so their husbands can learn. And, and I'm watching it, and I was watching it with my wife, and both of us kind of rolled our eyes a little bit. Um, you know, the, the theme of it was, you know, look, our lives, giving it all up, so that's what we learned. And we both kind of walked away feeling a little bit not so great about it. And I was trying to put my finger on it. Like, it was, it was, a, it was a beautiful concept. What's, what's, what's the problem? And I think this is the point, now that I heard this idea. 
the video focused primarily on the sacrifice of the women. And the tone basically was, look how amazing these women are. Now, if you're one of those women, so it makes you feel really good, right? Look how great you are. I feel really good about myself. If you're not one of those women, it's kind of like self-congratulation. It's like, pat yourself on the back. Look how great I am. Is that really the message? Or is the message, look how great Torah is, that people are willing to go through all this hardship for it? Is the focus on the people or is the focus on the cause? Right? It's a subtle thing. Now, granted, in a video, it's very hard to portray the chashivas of the cause itself. It's very abstract. Focusing on women, you know, go, going through the daily routine and, and, and enduring, that's easier to focus on. But, but inadvertently, what ends up happening is that the message that you're giving over is, look at me. <laughs> look how great I am, right? That I'm willing to go through all this hardship for it. It's a very subtle thing, but it makes a world of a difference. Is the focus me and, and how great I am? Or is the focus um, the cause itself? When you have people that have chachma, that it's not a continuation from their parents. It's not a continuation from somewhere else. What they're really saying is, look at me. I'm very smart. Look at the wisdom that I have, right? People are repulsed by that. I don't want to see your brilliance. But if a person is consistent, sees themselves as being part of a chain, back to Harsinai, the message isn't look at me and my brilliance, it's look at the Torah, look at Hashem, right? I am not me, I'm just a conduit for Hashem, for the Torah. So when I get up there and talk, I'm not talking about my own wisdom, but I'm giving over Hashem's Torah. And it's not about me. I'm just, I'm just, the, I'm just the conduit. I think this is what Shalom is trying to get across. When somebody's chinuch comes, is continuous, comes from their parents, it's, it's let me come from the people before me and, and pass that on to the next generation. That's one that's going to find favor in other people's eyes because people are going to look at that and say, oh, it's not about you. It's not about you and your brilliance. You're just getting it from the people before you who got it from the people before you got it from the people before you and you're just another link in the chain. If, however, a person, if, no matter how brilliant and wise they are, if it's not coming from the parents, it kind of starts with them. So then oftentimes what they're really saying is, forget who came before me. Look how brilliant I am, right? And, and that's something that people pick up on. People pick up on that. And people ultimately are kind of repulsed by it. And people don't want to listen to someone like that. They don't want to receive from someone who's all about them. <laughs> I remember once hearing a um, Marche Gifter was there, Shiva and Tells in Cleveland. And um, he was a fiery speaker. And, and uh, he was once giving a schmooze. And these, these words just were etched indelibly in my mind. He said it in Yiddish, but... Um, Maybe I'll say the Yiddish first, and then I'll translate because his Yiddish is so good. Very literally Yiddish. He says, "A mensch was lernen tere, und er knetet asse wore, und er hörten dem dein Segel, dass er nicht gelernt tere, dass er gelernt sich. Und a mensch was lernen sich bleibt er sich." That means this: if a person is learning Torah and he says a, an idea, a thought, and when he says the thought, he hears in that thought his own brilliance. He says, "You're not learning Torah; you're studying yourself." 
He says that if you study yourself, you remain yourself. He says that the goal of learning Torah is to study Hashem. It's to learn what Hashem saying, not, not what your own mind came up with. Um, and and it's, 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 a, it's something that we have to be very careful with, you know, in, in the Chachma. So I think what, what Shalom Melch is saying here, if you listen to the Musr of your father and the Torah of your mother, and that's where your wisdom starts, then it's going to be a, a source of chen. People are going to find chen in it. It's going to be an adornment. It's going to be something which, which people look at and see pleasantly. If, however, the, the converse, whatever wisdom you possess doesn't come from your parents, it, it, it's, 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 it's cut off from, from previous generations, so then it's going to come across as just being your own self-aggrandizement, your own, you know, kind of your own thoughts. And even if it is brilliant, it can be the exact same information as somebody else. But people aren't going to perceive it as coming from Hashem, as coming from something bigger than you. They're just going to see it as coming from you. And that's, and that's repulsive to people. People don't want to, to listen to people that are, that are, that are uh, into themselves and, and um, have that sense of an ego about them. Okay. <coughs> Fine. That's Ches uh, and Tes. The next section here, and again, we're going to kind of group this into sections as, as warranted. The next kind of muscle, we'll call it, um, starts in verse Yud, Pasuk Yud, verse 10, goes all the way till verse 19, Pasuk Yud Tes. So from Pasuk Yud to Yud Tes is kind of one big mushal. Um If I had to give a header for this mushal, uh, oh, sorry, before we get to that, we didn't talk about the Nimshal yet in Shmabini Musa Ravich of Altitish We talked about, on a surface level, listen to your parents, which itself is an incredibly important lesson as we laid out. What's the Nimshal? Right, so so what's the what's what's an analogous to? Right? What's the nimshal? What's deeper behind it? So um, I believe I wrote this down here. I didn't write it down here. Um, I believe the Vilna Gaon says that Musa Ravicha is Hashem. Hashem is your father, and Torah Imecha is the Torah. The Torah is your mother. And, it's, and on a deeper level, it's talking about, you know, sometimes we get rebuked directly from Hashem. Hashem communicates with us. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not Nevi'im, we're not prophets, but Hashem communicates with us in the way He, he runs the world, uh, certain actions, etc. And then there's the Torah, which is the overall instruction for life. So the same way a person in his own life has the father figure and the mother figure, the mother kind of giving the basic, you know, in, 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 a, in a loving, just simply stated way, this is how the world is, and the father then comes in and, and, and chastises as needed in a way that's maybe a little bit harsher, but gets the message in a little bit more. The same thing is true with the Torah and Hashem directly. Uh, our general instruction is, 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 is like the Torah is sweet, it's, it's, it's something which is palatable, it's like the, uh, the Torah Simecha, whereas Hashem directly, when he has to come in and, and, and kind of shake us up a little bit, uh, he does it in his own way, obviously, uh, not through direct communication, uh, because we don't have nevuah. But but Hashem will come in as the Father and kind of give us a little bit of musar here and there as warranted. And that's that's the nimshal says the Vilnagon of this pasuk Shmabani Musar And again, keep in mind everything here in, in Mishle is to be understood on two levels and probably more than that. But there's the mashal, there's the nimshal. So even this pasuk, which itself is very profound, uh, there's even a deeper level there. Torah Savicha being, Shmusa uh, Ravicha meaning Hashem, and Torah um, Simecha meaning the Torah. Okay. Uh, on to Pasuk Yud. So, so Pasuk Yud, starting from Pasuk Yud through Pasuk Yud Tess, uh, is a, a, a kind of one, one section, one mashal. And if I had to give a title of it, 
Uh, the title is some very, very important advice. Don't join a gang of murderous thieves. Um, good advice. Good advice. Not, not very smart. Um, you know, even if they, they promise you you're going to become wealthy, uh, don't join a gang of murderous thieves. Okay, that's, that's the, again, obviously we'll unpack it, but let's, let's first look at it very quickly, kind of verse, possibly get through your test, then we'll go back slowly and understand the whole thing. So, possibly uh, good. If, if sinners come and try to entice you to join them, don't go. Okay, so the gang members come and they say, come, join the gang, right? Don't go. If, if they say, come with us, we'll hide an ambush for bloodshed. Uh, we will hide and we will find the innocent and kill them for nothing. <laughs> okay? Basically, we're going to go hang out by the road and uh, attack innocent civilians and kill them. Uh, we will swallow them up in the grave while they're alive. And and we will um, completely consume them or innocent ones, depending on how you understand. Uh, they'll, they'll go down like those going down to the grave again, the pit. Kolohon Yakar Nimsa, why should you do this? Because we're going to find great wealth. Namali we're going to fill our houses full of booty. Well, we'll steal from the, our victims and we'll become very wealthy. So this is a very good proposition, right? Let's go, go hide by the road, we'll kill people, and we will um, fill our houses full of, of, of spoils. Not only that, you'll be part of us. Uh, your lot will be cast with ours. You'll have... You'll have friends, or you'll, have, you'll be belong to something. Kis echad We'll all have one. We'll all share one purse. You know, you'll be financially stable. You'll enjoy in the riches. Bini, my son, Don't go on the road with them. withhold yourself from their paths. Why? Because they're running for evil. and they're very quick to spill blood. Um, the trap is is uh, spread out. And the bait looks like it's for free. Be'enei called Balkanov in the eyes of the bird. He's giving an analogy within the analogy that, a, that, that when the bird goes and sees the, the food in the trap, right, the hunter goes and sets up a net and puts a little bait there for the bird, right? And the bird comes and says, oh, look, free food, right? It's not for free. The net's right there and you're going to go and get the food and then the net's going to fall and trap you. The hunters are sitting there in ambush for blood. They are hiding out for the soul of the poor bird who's going to eat the free, the free lunch. Uh, such is the way of any uh, thief. He takes the life of the owner of the property that he's taking. Okay. Um, that's the basic understanding. Um, obviously, quite uh, surprising, I guess I would say. <laughs> I mean... Shlomo Melech hardly needs to, to tell us, especially right after the onset, um, don't join a gang of murderous thieves. Uh, what, what's, what's going on here? You no, know, there's, even if there is a nimshal, but the mushal itself sounds quite outlandish. Um, what's, what, what's the depth here? What, what's behind all this? Uh, why is he talking the way he's talking? So, I, I think the answer is this. Um, and this is basically kind of the, the gist that I get from all the commentaries. It sounds exaggerated. Right? Okay, come on. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go join a gang of murderous thieves. Right? And what Shlomo Melch really is saying is that any sort of 
uh, group of people that you're going to join to do something which is wrong, you should really look at it the same way. It's really no different. Right? So, so down to you have, a, you have a, a, a group of women that get together and, and talk and there's a constant Lush and Hara that might come up, whatever it is. Right? So our natural instinct is not to look at that the same way as we look at joining a gang that's going to kill people. Right? And Shlomo Melech is saying, really deep down, it's no different. It's no different. The same way you would never even dream of joining a gang of murderous thieves. Right? When you really break it down... Is it any different when you're going over to somebody's house you know there's going to be Lush Nahara said? Is it any different? Right? The reason why the, the, the exaggerated muscle is here is precisely for that purpose. Of course you don't have to tell anybody this. Right? It's obvious. No parent has to get up there and tell their kid. I mean, no. But generally speaking, you don't have to get up and tell your kid, don't join a gang of murderous thieves. Right? But as, as outlandish as it is, the notion that I would go do something like that, that's really what happens every time a group of people comes over to us and says, whether verbally or otherwise, come join us. And it'll be good. There'll be benefit. You'll enjoy it. You'll, you'll have friends. It's amazing. Yeah, okay, maybe there's some things that aren't going to be perfect, aren't going to be great. If we really understood what, what Chet was, what, what Hashem is, what the world is, we would look at it the same way. We would look at it all the same way. It, it, it's that stark. It's that stark in reality. Um, I think that's why Shlomo Melech is, 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 is telling us this, this seemingly unnecessary admonishment. He's saying it is necessary. You think it's unnecessary. It is necessary because the instances where this applies to you, there it should also seem unnecessary. And why doesn't it seem unnecessary in that case? Because we don't have the proper appreciation for what a chet is. We've grown used to it. It's something which is, which is understandable. You know? um, fundamentally, I think that's the message. Rebbein Yonah more specifically says this. He says that Again, in the muscle, in the literal sense, we're not talking about actual murder. We're talking about people that are just stealing. And Shalom Melech is trying to say that theft is tantamount to murder. Right? That's the Rinioni says this exact thing. I think, if I'm understanding Rinioni's just correctly, it's not just theft, it's really anything. In other words, anything that is wrong, a person's going to join a group of people to do something wrong, this message applies. We should look at it as if. This person was a gang leader asking us to join the gang, promising us reward, right? Is it worth the reward? No, it's not worth the reward, right? So, so I, I think in a general sense, that's the idea. Okay. Um, this section that we're going to, again, unpack line by line here, the general idea is stay away from the wrong people. Stay away from the wrong crowds. That's the message. The next section is going to be talking about how a person should run after wisdom and where to find wisdom. And, and, and a lot of the Mepharshim say the concept here is until a person rids themselves from bad influences, forget it. You're not going to, you know, the goal here is to acquire wisdom. The goal of the safer is to acquire wisdom. We're trying to, to, to gain a sense of the world. It's going to put us on the right path. 
says the same way the introduction we said before. He's giving introductions to how to attain wisdom. Introduction number one, have your Hashem. You have to have objectivity. Introduction number two, let it come from the people before you. Let it come from your parents. Don't try to make it up as you go. Tap in to the Masorah that you have before you. Introduction number three, be careful who you hang out with. Because if you hang out with the wrong people, then whatever endeavor you try to make as far as gaining Chachma, forget it. You're just going to be influenced by them. You'll be influenced by those people. You'll end up doing what it is that they want to do and done. So this is another introduction to a prerequisite for acquiring Chachma. And then the next, after this, we'll talk about where to find Chachma and how to start that process. Another prerequisite for finding Chachma is be careful of who we associate with. If you associate with the wrong people, right, the Rambam famously says that a person will be influenced by their surroundings. Period. End of story. There is no such thing. Although a person, the Rambam says very clearly a person is influenced by the surroundings, the people around them, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's a fact. You will be influenced by the people around you. So, um, so Shalom is saying it as a prerequisite. Be careful of the people you hang out with. He's saying it in the extreme uh, to, to bring the point home very strongly. Um, but that's kind of the message, the general message in these psukim from Pasuk Yod through Pasuk Yod test. Okay. Another very interesting thing that Vilna Gon points out here is that generally speaking, says the Vilna Gon, there are two basic sources of Avera within a person. Two basic drives within a person that lead towards Avera. The Vilna describes it as Kas and Taiva. Anger and desire. Chaim um, Vital, and one of my, my favorite things I've ever seen, uh, he says that all human personality traits can be traced back to the four yisodos, the four basic elements of nature, which are fire, water, uh, earth, and wind. Chaim uh, Vital defines this. He says every person has a different combination of those natures inherent to them. And he describes the core negative mida associated with each one of these four. Um, he says Aish is gaiva, so fire. Uh, the core negative mida is gaiva, is arrogance, which is the source of kas. Very interesting. He says the source of anger is arrogance. Um, the reason why a person gets angry with other people is because they have a sense of how dare somebody else get in my way. Like, the world's supposed to run the way I want it to run. That's where anger comes from. It comes from arrogance. Anger is a, anger is a byproduct of arrogance. Uh, arrogance is the, is, the, um, is the prime negative mida that comes from ish. And some people, ish is their main character. And again, there's also a, a good mida that comes from that. Um, none of these are inherently good or bad. They're just natures. And, and uh, he's using it to help people avoid their, their major pitfalls and identify what their major challenges are. Um, I went through this with the girls in Misaka. We went through the whole thing. I had them try to figure out which one. Everybody has some combination of all four of them, but, but you're more dominant in one, more obsessive than some of the other ones. Everybody has usually one that's kind of most dominant or two that are most dominant. So that's Aish. Uh, on the other extremes, Mayim is Taiva. Uh, the idea of mayim, which is on the opposite end, so you kind of like fire on one side, water on the other side. Um, mayim is taiva, uh, desire, um, lust. That's kind of the core 
trait of, of Mayim. Um, and then the other two the other two poles are Ruach, which is kind of on the top. It's a very non-physical, non-material. And then at the bottom you have um, you have Earth. So he says the, the core character trait of, of negative character trait of, of Earth is Atzlus, laziness, um, which does he say Atzlus? No, sorry. It's Atzvus, sadness or depression, which leads to laziness. The other end is that the core, an earth personality is prone to sadness, like a sense of, 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 of depression, um, which can lead to laziness, not wanting to do anything. Uh, it's interesting, he says laziness comes from there. And the most fascinating one to me is the, the wind personality, which I very much am a wind personality, um, is... He says the core negative midah of a wind personality is something he calls sicha betela, idle talk. He says that's, that's the core negative midah. Uh, it seemingly seems to be like relative to the other ones, not that bad. But um, it, it essentially means that, that, that a person's all talk and no action. In other words, you talk a lot, but you don't do anything, right? You're, you're very detached from reality. Wind personalities, you know, the wind kind of just kind of floats up there. And it's, um, you know, the, the good side of it is that you can easily overlook things. You know, you don't get so caught up in, in, in uh, you know, uh, in, in, you know, conflict. You can easily kind of fly over conflict. The bad side of it is you can just completely ignore life and just live in your little bubble and just be not there, be, be detached from reality, which is essentially the core of Sikha Batela is, is really that. It's, it's, a detachment from reality. The fact that you talk gives you enough of a sense that you're there, but you're not really there because speech is only half in this world. It's, it's actions in this world. Speech is kind of half in this world. And a person can think that if I talk a lot and I talk enough about what I want to do, I'm kind of here and doing things, but um, it's not really in this world in, in, in a practical sense. So anyways, Zilligong says that, that uh, the two main, he, he breaks down the two, it's, it's, it's anger, it's, it's desire, um, and he says that here, Shlomo Melech is bringing out Kas, this, this anger, which is going to associate with the fire personality. And the next parak, we'll talk about Taiva, the other one, the water personality, and, and how to stay away from that. Okay, so we're talking about somebody, the, the, the pitfall we're trying to avoid here is one of, of anger, uh, where murder comes from. The one says the first two um, negative commandments in the Sarsadibras are connected these two. Losirtzach is connected Kas, anger, murder, Murder is a byproduct of arrogance and anger. In other words, a person feels like I'm the only thing that matters in the world. You're in my way. Get out of my way. That's where murder comes from. It's an extreme sense of arrogance, an extreme sense of anger uh, that leads to murder. Um, and, and it's a very much a fire personality. Uh, whereas um, Losinov, which is the next one of the Assassin's is, is spoken against the opposite extreme, which is somebody who's consumed with taiva, uh, with desire. And that's where Losinov, the, the prohibition against adultery, comes in. Uh, that's the second of the Aserz of Dibras. Okay. So let's go through these psukim over here. Um, it says like this. Bni, my son, if they come to entice you, al tavo. There's an enticement process. Uh, you know, Avera, the Chet doesn't come up to our door and say, come do an Avera. That's not how it works. It's very cunning, right? It, it, it's very seductive. It knows how to convince people. You know, if if if... 
the opportunities for Avera came up to us and knocked on the door and said, hey, you want to do an Avera today? We'd say no, close the door, have a nice day. Right? Um, if it comes to seduce you, Pito is, is, is the language of seduction. It comes to, yeah, it comes, first it comes in all sweetly and all nice and, you know, it doesn't show its, its, its true nature. Um, and just, that's how Chet approaches us. Chet approaches us as pitoy. It doesn't approach us as, as, as straightforward. So that's the idea here. Bani, my son, imi fatucha chatoim. If they entice you, al tovo, don't go. Al tovi, sorry, not al tovi. Al tovi, don't listen. Sorry, al tovi means don't listen. Okay, pasuk yud aleph. Im yomru l'choyitonu. If they say, come with us, nervul adam. Let's wait in an ambush for bloodshed. Nitzpana l'naki chinam. Let's hide and wait for an innocent person who did nothing wrong. Rabbi Yonah makes an incredible uh, observation in this passage. So the gang leader, Chet, comes and says, let's go attack the innocent. So he asks the following question. He says, if, if this gang is out for money, which seemingly they are, so who cares how good the person that you're attacking is. Right? Let's just go wait on the road. The next guy that comes by will rob him. Right? The, the Pusik says, what they say is, let's go attack the innocent. Like, the, the one that's pure. And what if the guy's not innocent? What if the guy's a horrible person too? I'll still rob him. What's the difference? Right? Does, does a wicked person specifically seek out innocent people to attack? Right? Sir Yona's diak in the Pusik. And he says, yes. He says, yes. He says, the apostle is trying to tell us, Shalom is trying to tell us, that wicked people have a hatred towards those that are good. Have a hatred towards the tzaddikim. And if they have a choice, I could attack somebody who's a tzaddik or attack some average Joe, I'm going to attack the tzaddik. Because Rishayim can't stand tzaddikim. They hate tzaddikim. He says, he says further, he says, therefore, when you hear wicked people saying negative things about tzaddikim, and unfortunately this happens, people complain about Rabbanim, people complain about Chachamim, people complain about Chashva people, right? And they say not nice things about them. Cesare and Yonah realize that people who are wicked despise those that are good. And therefore, when somebody who's maybe not so good themselves says something negative about somebody who is ostensibly good, not only should you not listen to him because he's biased because he hates him, it's actually an indication of how good the person is. If he's the one that the wicked people are picking out to pick on and to call out, then obviously he's truly righteous. He says the wicked people know who the righteous ones are and they hate them and the ones that they're going to blame everything on are usually the most righteous. I mean, it's not only should you not listen, take it with a grain of salt, because they have a bias, they're not at all. They're hardly objective. But the contrary, it's an indication of how great the person they're speaking about is. Why'd you pick that guy to, to, to hate on? Must be he's a tzaddik. Must be he's truly a tzaddik. Very fascinating. And he gets this all from the word of the fact that the Navi tells us, that the Shalom El tells us that it's this Blenaki, that they're waiting for the innocent person, for the pure innocent person. Now, why is this, by the way? Why is it that the wicked people hate the the um, the innocent. By the way, it's the same phenomenon as anti-Semitism. What? Anti-Semitism is the exact same phenomenon. Mm-hmm. 
So, so what, what does it mean jealous? I mean, they'll tell you what do you mean. I want, I, want, I want to live the fast life and enjoy myself. I don't want what they want. Right? If you go to them and say, would you want their life? They'll say, no, of course I don't. Right? I, I, like, I like my, I like my, uh, my Russia ways. Right? So, so this is the, this, everybody has such a hard time understanding anti-Semitism in the world. This is it. Wicked people hate good people. That's the answer. That's the answer with their conscience. It's guilt. It's really guilt. The, the way I would describe it is, is, is the following. There's this wonderful thing that Hashem created, uh, which is called shame or guilt. Busha. In fact, the Gemara says it's one of the three... Busha, embarrassment? Embarrassment, guilt, shame. Yeah, it's all the same feeling. The Gemara says there's three basic qualities that Jewish people have. Three basic midas that you can, you can always identify a Jew with these three midas. So Avram Free made a song about it, right? So so the last two are Rachmanim and Gemel Chasadim. Rachmanim, we're compassionate. We're Gemel Chasadim, we're charitable. We we're kind. Okay, th- those are very understandable, and it's true. Jews are usually very kind, very very uh, very compassionate people. And the third one, which is the first one on the list, is that we're Baishanim. We're Baishanim. We have Busha. Jewish guilt. This is Jewish guilt, right? It's a thing. Jewish guilt is a real thing. So the question is, why is it a quality? I mean, it, it's, it may be an identifying feature. All Jews feel guilty. But why is it a quality? And we're saying there's three qualities that Jewish people have. So um, this is the way I, I, I like to explain it. What, what guilt is... Rabbi Lapiansky once explained the following. He says, guilt is to the neshama what pain is to the body. He says, pain is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. He says, but imagine living without pain. Imagine existing without pain. So he says, there actually is a condition that, that people don't feel any pain. I forgot what it's called. And, and people with that condition usually die very young. Because pain is the body's alert system. Right? When... When something's wrong, you feel pain. We feel pain. And it tells us something's wrong. Let's correct it. And the more wrong it is, the more pain we feel. Right? And the more, <laughs> the more the alarm bells are ringing. Right? So we go deal with it. If a person didn't feel pain, they would die. They would die because there'd be something wrong and we wouldn't know. Right? So what, what pain is, it's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable for a reason, so we couldn't ignore it. Right, because it's 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 a warning system, right? There's something wrong with this body. There's something wrong with your body. Go take care of it. And the reason why it's uncomfortable is because if it wasn't uncomfortable, we'd ignore it, right? So Hashem's not giving us pain to torture us. Hashem's giving us pain to help us, right? Recognize there's something seriously wrong here. Go deal with it, right? Yeah, but why does it have to hurt so much? Because if it didn't hurt, you'd ignore it, right? So you have to make it go away, and the only way to make it go away is to deal with the problem. So shame, or bush, or guilt, is the exact same thing with the nisham. Right? When we don't live up to our standards, there's this very uncomfortable feeling called guilt. It's what it is. It's the nishama's alert system. It says your behavior doesn't match up with the way you ought to be behaving. 
So we feel this very uncomfortable feeling that's hard to get rid of called guilt. That is our warning system that, hey, we're not behaving the way we ought to. So how do you deal with it? So let's talk about pain. There's two ways to deal with pain. You can address the problem or you can take painkillers. Right? Now, if a person addresses the problem, they'll be healthy. They'll get healthy. They'll live, they'll live on. If a person just takes painkillers and doesn't address the issue, right? So, yeah, the pain will go away. You won't feel the pain. But you'll get worse and worse until something terrible happens. Right? So if all you're going to do is, is, is get rid of the pain without addressing the underlying cause, you're not doing yourself any favors. Right? So when it comes to bush, it's the same thing. Guilt is very uncomfortable, right? In the world, there's two ways to deal with it. One way is to embrace it, say, okay, I know it's uncomfortable. It must be there's some action that I have to correct and deal with the cause. Or what the world often tries to do is take painkillers. What does that mean? That means convince themselves that their way they're behaving is the way they ought to be behaving. No, this is normal. This behavior that I feel incredibly shameful about, that I carry incredible guilt inside about, that I'm doing but I feel so guilty about, I have to go on a crusade and convince myself and the entire world that this is the way it ought to be. So I'm committing adultery and I feel really guilty about it. So... I have two options. I could stop or I can convince the world that, you know, human beings weren't really meant to be monogamous. Right? We've seen this time and time again in our world. Right? Because guilt is uncomfortable, because shame is uncomfortable, so the instinct of the world is to get rid of the feeling, get rid of the pain, get rid of the guilt. Right? We embrace the guilt. That's the hallmark. The fact that we can carry our guilt around proudly is, is this hallmark that we're not lowering our standards. Um, okay, it's already 851. I'll, I'll just end up with one, cute, with, with one quick little story. It's one of my favorite stories. Of, 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 of a gold sailor. Um, was a, he was Mr. Young, but he was, a, he was a very beloved Rebbe. He once had a student of his call him up. He said, Rebbe, I feel horrible. I haven't learned anything in three days. So he said, Gvaldi, come over, we'll make a lechayim. <laughs> He's an older Thurston. He says, Rebbe, I don't think you heard me. I said, I feel horrible, I haven't learned in three days. He said, that's wonderful, come on over. He said, Rebbe, you heard me? He says, yeah. He says, let me ask you a question. How many people on this planet feel horrible if they haven't learned in three days? I said, that's a reason to make a lechayim. Yes, you feel guilty, but it means, it means you have standards. It means you're alive. It means... You have what to strive for. Okay, so, so next time you'll, you'll try to learn more. But, but the guilt isn't something to run away from. It's something to embrace, feel good about. And then we can move on in life. Okay, we will continue this next week.